Hi everyone, and welcome to the RegTech Report, your update on all things RegTech. My name is Carl Viertel, and with me is Stefan Celestio. Our mission is to bring you the latest news, speak with industry pioneers, and news about the latest tech. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our ninth episode of the RegTech Report. Now, we have a little bit of a different episode today because Stefan is actually not with me. He's uh, on a well-deserved vacation and uh, on a beach somewhere in Croatia. Um, however, I do have a, a great conversation teed up with Bailey, um, our head of marketing here at Align, that I'm really looking forward to. But first, we have a very exciting guest um, his name is Randy Putar, and he has an amazingly unique view on RegTech because uh, Randy is both an interim director at HSBC and the founder of a brand new RegTech uh, startup, uh, Compliance as a Service. Uh, so I'm really uh, looking forward to his perspective. So uh, welcome, Randeep. How are you? Very well, thank you. And it's a real pleasure to be involved in this. Uh, so thank you both very much. Uh, really appreciate the opportunity to to just come and talk. Great to have you on. So, Randeep, you as of course have a very very unique view. Mm -hmm. um, so, coming from the corporate world and from you know one of the obviously largest banks in the world, um, what was sort of your cure? What was the gap that you saw that you said actually I want to go out and I want to uh, build compliance as a service? So there were quite a few, actually, and I'm, I'm sure both yourself and uh, the listeners of this podcast can relate to the majority of what I'm about to say. A lot of this isn't new. Um, I've been working in, I guess, the space of transformation for around 15 years now, the last 10 years of which have been within financial services. So in that space, my focus has always been around transforming an organization in response to some sort of a regulatory driver. Uh, whether it's FINRA, Mar Risk, EU directives of some sort of, or another, um, you know, I've I've sort of had to bring together resources, organization, technology, processes to to respond. And um, in the last few years, at least, I'd say certainly within the last three to five years, um, I've made a number of observations around what's what's happening in the regulatory space. And um, in the main, it's Things like, if you look at regulatory demand, very much on the rise at the moment. Um, you know, I read a statistic recently that there are going to be around 300 million pages of regulation in circulation by 2020. Um, now, I don't know if that's necessarily a true fact, but nonetheless, it does reign true when I think about my own experiences insofar as the way in which banks are being flooded with regulation um, and it's not abating. I also see yeah. the cost of compliance for banks rising as well. So again, my experience is, is, is an example of this. You know, we, everything I've done in the last 10 years has had some sort of a regulatory driver linked to it. And uh, if I look at the, the way in which we spend money um, in many of the banks that I've worked for, uh, again, you know, a statistic is out there that says 20% of RTB spend and about 40% of CTB spend is all related to governance, risk, and compliance. So that would be run the bank and change the bank. So a pretty significant part of uh, the overall budget of what the bank spends. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if you think about um, you know, those figures, I mean, those, they're, they're quite significant chunks 
of um, of I guess your cost to operate. And uh, and again, if you think about uh, regulatory technology in general, I mean, it's not one of those things that I would say is probably the sexiest part of uh, fintech. Um, but to my mind, it's certainly the most um, one of the most important and impactful because you know if it if it you know if if it costs sort of one dollar to keep the lights on um, in a bank, and actually you know you're making about one dollar fifty. I would suggest that by automating and improving the way in which we respond to compliance, you're going to sort of reduce your spend by about five to 10 basis points. And then when you consider the actual amounts that we're talking about in terms of revenue generation, actually, those are yeah. significant numbers. So it's it's certainly, you know, the cost of compliance, unfortunately, continues to rise, in fact. And I think this is a bit of an issue because the way in which banks typically respond is by just throwing people at the problem. <laughs> uh, you know, exactly. You know, they, they, they increase headcount within the compliance department. And I'm not really seeing efficiencies or economies of scale being applied in the most effective way. I'm not saying it's not there, but I think to do it in a joint up manner, uh, we've still got quite a long way to go. Mm. Um, so, so again, you know, if you look at those headwinds, the demand of regulation is on the rise. The cost of compliance is, is rising as well. And then layer in the fact that there's a lot of regulatory fragmentation out there and it's not helping. And so what I mean by that is um, the way in which regulation is actually um, interpreted on a sort of jurisdiction by jurisdiction basis tends to vary. And then it varies even further when you yeah. think about the fact that a lot of these regulations then become law. So then the legal interpretation varies also. Um, if you think about then the subsequent set steps that banks take to actually um, translate a regulation into something that they can respond to, ordinarily it will come into in-house legal or some form of legal counsel. They will form a, a view as to what the regulation means or what the legislation means. Then you have compliance, take that, interpret it into business requirements which are then interpreted by technology into, I guess, uh, solution requirements. And so every step of the way, the, the, you know, the whole process is open for um, gaps in interpretation. And by, by the time you get to an endpoint where you've actually made a change to process, made a change to technology, made a change to your data, um, you can be very far from what the original intent was. So that whole fragmentation piece actually applies, you know, from outside of, the financial services institutions all the way into mm. um, their day-to-day operations. And so... So was the main driver for you to start compliance as a service really just the financial opportunity that you saw? Well, I certainly see a financial opportunity, but I think it's um, a little bit more than that as well. Um, you know, if you think about the reason why we have RegTech today, um, you know, it's there's a phrase that has been sort of lost from... The, the discourse, I think, since the financial crisis, the credit crunch, uh, which is moral hazard. And I think if you, if you consider the fact that, you know, there is a societal impact here, um, a lot of people don't really recognize when they're working in the sort of the back of the back office in banks, they don't realize that actually the nuts and bolts are quite important because ultimately this is what keeps the whole ecosystem safe. This is what keeps it clean and then therefore yeah. has a a net positive effect on consumers and I guess society as a whole, because we know that the credit crunch had an impact on society. 
And so there's a societal impact, which I think most of the regulators are actually, you know, behind. Uh, by and large, that's why they exist. Um, but then, of course, yes, there's definitely an opportunity to actually generate revenue by addressing this problem. And it's not actually, mm-hmm. a, I, I wouldn't say on the surface of it, it's not a difficult problem to address. I would say that the logistics are what's challenging when you have large-scale banks. Logistics is a nice way of saying it, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's politics, there's logistics, there's there's just the actual, I mean, a lot of the technology needed to improve, for example, regulatory reporting isn't necessarily innovative. You know, if I take a regulation, if I automate the way in which um, um, I, I sort of interpret that by uh, using some form of NLP or text um, analytics, that's not necessarily new. It's been around for quite some time. It's it's really more about harnessing the power of those technologies, using them in a, a holistic manner uh, to just make these processes a lot more efficient, gain some sort of economy of scale. Agreed. And I, I wanted to pick your brains on another aspect because uh, obviously when we uh, spoke previously, um, you told me about sort of all of the experience you have in the various markets. Now, um, uh, you had also mentioned the very fragmented way that regulation is adapted in uh, individual geographies. So from your perspective, is there a geography or a um, regulatory area geographically where you say RegTech has a huge lever here and in other areas it just, you know, the adoption rate is much, much lower. It's going to be much more difficult. Well, I certainly think that within the UK, um, there's a lot of support for RegTech. And, um, you know, this is evidenced through, um, uh, you know, the Bank of England and the FCA RegTech or Digital Reg Reporting Sandbox, which has been ongoing for quite some time now. And I think it's in its second phase. So, I, you know, the ecosystem being driven by the regulator with participation from the industry is is looking healthy uh, in the UK. Um, Having said that, um, there are a number of other areas where um, sandboxes are are being stood up, uh, again, but being driven by the regulators. So, you know, we're seeing a lot of activity in Canada and Singapore. Uh, We're seeing activity in the UAE uh, with the Abu Dhabi Reg Lab. So, you know, it, that, that's quite encouraging from a global standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, so I certainly think that the regulatory imperative is stronger in Europe um, simply because of the volume of regulation that comes our way via the EU. Um, mm-hmm. And I think what tends to happen is certainly within the emerging markets, they tend to follow suit. So if it's not happening there today, then it will happen soon. And um, Where's the last place you would go the, as a regulator? The tech? last place I would go? Hmm. That's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for putting you You're on, really the putting me like, on the spot. Let's there. exclude North Korea. <laughs> yeah. So um, Russia, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I'd, I, I'd might agree. Mm. Uh, I tend to agree with you on Russia. I think there's, um, or at least I don't know enough about it. Yeah. And it seems like there's so much uncertainty uh, and. Uh, uh, unpredictable things happening. I, I'd agree with you on Russia. Yeah, and, and, and a, a, you know, that statement is based primarily on perception, perception through what's happening in the media. And I think, you know, the reality on the ground may be different. But uh, one of the things that we do as compliance as a service is um, a reg fine watch. And so every month we just do a scan of what's happened across the industry, across the world, and uh, we pick up snippets of news um, related to regulatory fines that are taking place. And... Um, 
mm-hmm. you know, the majority of that activity is definitely within the developed markets where the regulators are playing a much mm-hmm. more active role in the in the ecosystem. Um, I don't. And there's also more money to protect. more money to protect. Exactly. It's where the liquidity is. So I don't actually see that much uh, news coming through from, um, I guess, from Eastern Europe and beyond. Um, yeah. Oh. Well, very interesting insights. And uh, maybe a final question. What's next for compliance as a service? So we're developing our platform. And uh, it's very early days at the moment. Uh, we've uh, we've got a, a series of wireframes. So it's very sort of... Um, how can I say it? it's it's pre early stage uh, from that perspective, but <laughs> but it's the best stage. Let's be honest; it's where all the creativity flows in, where the euphoria is mixed with the existential fear. I love yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. And look, you know, I, I I love what you guys are doing because you know it's it's we can be competitive, um, and but at the same time we can sort of help each other along the way as well. So one of the things I've really liked about this journey so far is that I've had conversations with you know, would-be competitors who have already got market share, who have already got their round A, round B out of the way, and, um, you know, are onboarding clients actively. And yet, they're willing to have conversations, they're willing to exchange insight. Likewise, that's what I'm bringing to the table at the moment, which is, you know, my experience. And uh, the hope is that by early next year, we'll actually have a market offering up and running. Excellent. Well, all the best on that. And uh, we look forward to bringing you back on the pod to uh, learn more about the great things I'm sure Compliance as a Service will be doing. Thanks so much for joining us. Definitely. Really appreciate it and look forward to speaking again. We're back with the second segment of the day, and joining us today is the lovely Bailey Benton. Now, if she sounds like Trevor Noah, that is not coincidental (laughs) because she is joining us or has joined us um, from South Africa and is now living in Munich and uh, joined us as our head of marketing. Welcome, Bailey. Hi. Nice to be back since the first episode. Exactly. (laughs) Now... um, We thought it would be really interesting to take a slightly different spin on uh, RegTech today. Now, um, this will probably be really interesting for uh, some of our fellow RegTechs that are listening. Um, And I'm sure uh, you all will have uh, encountered uh, some challenges around this as well, because RegTech is a very, very different product to market, to address our target buyers and uh, help the market understand what what we're all about. And now, Bailey, you, of course, have a background in marketing and advertising um, in South Africa for a lot of consumer products um, and have now joined us and are helping us uh, market and reshape our brand um, for uh, B2B products. So... um, what are some of the commonalities that you found and what's really different? So, yeah, they it's funny. There's so many similarities. Um, obviously, B2B and B2C, they're vastly different in the way that you approach them. But uh, there's one primary uh, factor, and that is that you're always selling to people, whether, you know, it doesn't matter who it is. It's just businesses, but businesses are made up of people. But um, they both, of course, follow the basic rule of marketing to an audience to win over their hearts um, and get them to know your brand and your product. But the way you approach it um, is very different. And uh, particularly in B2B, of course, there's um, much higher costs involved. Um, 
different decision making units. It's not just a quick fire purchase. Um, and so the actual journey. Yeah, we're not an impulse byproduct. <laughs> the actual journey of, of uh, getting there is, is quite long winded and uh, takes a lot of nurturing and care. Um, but what is similar is that it doesn't do away with the big idea. And I think that's what also a lot of B2B brands kind of forget. Um, and uh, I think slowly but surely they're starting to catch up on it. But um, B2B, B2B doesn't need to be um, impersonal. It's it's still got so much value. And I think it's just a different way of approaching it, really. Um, no, I, I fully agree because you could say, well, you know, RegTech is incredibly impersonal because, you know, it's, it's software, it's yeah. regulation. I mean, that's probably as impersonal as it gets. And, of course, the product is non-tangible, right? You yeah. can't buy... Um, uh, you know, three reg techs and touch them or whatever. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's very abstract. Yeah. Um, so how do you try and build something that actually resonates on such an intangible product? Well, I think the first thing we, we really needed to focus on and look at is the product itself is super smart. It's uh, technology, it's reg tech, it does all of these wonderful things. Um, but at the core of it, the people who are buying it are people and they're emotional people. And so um, we need to connect with them on a more emotional level. And uh, as we say that, the people who are building the product are also people. So I think that's the golden thread there. And it's about creating a brand story and a brand value that goes beyond beyond being informative, beyond being a hard sell. Um, you know, there's... In B2B marketing, you've got to approach it in a way that's not, you can't really take the form of, okay, a catchy headline's going to win this one or a nice big billboard where people already know about my brand is going to do the trick. Um, it really is about this brand story that's going to get people involved, get them inspired um, and take something that is intangible and maybe even seen as a grudge purchase. Often the time, I think maybe... Companies are like, we know we need to invest in something like this, so we do, but, you know, oh, is it exciting? I'd rather be spending my money maybe on something way more out there or whatever. <laughs> but, I mean, it's something that companies need. It's it's fulfilling a need, and it's it's a way for us to connect with them. So we have, over time, developed this brand story, which we, we will be implementing and rolling out um, yeah, tell us a little bit more about sort of the, um, and this is a bit of a preview, obviously, for some things going on at the line. <coughs> tell us sort of about the the core story that we're, that we're framing the Align brand around that you came up with. Sure. So what we looked at um, was the psychology um, of the purchase, because marketing is psychology after all, um, and the value of the product. And we wanted to simplify it and turn it into a fictional style metaphor that um, encompasses what we do uh, in a very true way. Um, so it is an element of fiction, um, but it creates a personal story and a story of uh, heroism and makes those us, and it, what it really is supposed to do is to, to inspire us um, as a company in our culture and to have our brand story resonate. So what we looked at um, is what we actually do and what we likened it to was um, a mission control. And what mission control was really um, is these expert teams that have tons of knowledge. They're super geeky in a way. They're super <laughs> Yeah, that, that fits. <laughs> and their job is to make sure that the astronauts get to this 
uh, get to space and do what they need to do and back in one piece. And uh, if anything, the astronauts and Apollo could is really nothing without mission control. So um, we looked at how that related to, to Align and what our software does. And it was such a perfect fit, um, even being fictional. And it related to our team and it related to the values that we, we uphold and... Um, you know. And everyone in a corporation is on a mission, right? Yep. A mission to do something, to change something, to influence something, to gain more insight. And it's, uh, we really loved it when you came up with that idea because it it's not specific. We're not saying, oh, we're yeah. this and this for cybersecurity, this and that for mm-hmm. compliance. But it's it's sort of it's bigger. It's the mission you're on, on your mm. daily, in your career, in your job. And we're the mission control. We have your backs. Yeah. It's exactly that. And uh, it's also something that uh, has legs. It's not just a, a campaign that's um, sort of a once-off thing. It's it's almost a culture that we want to build within our within our company. And, um, yeah, it's just a feeling. Uh, it just gives me a feeling. It, it's, it's more than – it's almost like we're all part of something more and we're actually doing – everything you do is super cool, makes a difference. Like, you are changing the world and – um, it's quite inspirational, uh, really. And I think that's also value for, for the customers and, the, you know, the people we're targeting is that we really care about you and your mission. And it, we want to go above and beyond and uh, whatever we can to make your mission a success and uh, make sure you're aligned at every single second. So when you were at uni and, you know, choosing your career, I'm betting you never thought you would be this excited <laughs> yeah. about regulation and compliance. <laughs> No. <laughs> uh, and so this actually leads us to our next segment. Um, as uh, our avid listeners know, yeah. we usually do a top three, and usually Stefan and I do that. <laughs> However, of course, Stefan is um, basking in the sun somewhere in Cro- on a boat in Croatia. Um, so we figured we'd do something else. And uh, let's just cue the jingle. Hey. Hey. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the... Top three. <laughs> and now we're back for a very special top three with Bailey, where we're just going to ask Bailey for her top th- three things that you, Bailey, thought you never wanted to know, but unfortunately now know because you work for a reg tech. <laughs> uh, these are really actually quite fun to come up with. Um, so my number three, I mean, I've learned a heck of a lot. Let's, I'll just say that but the top three and probably my top three funniest things that I actually refer back to quite often um first or third one being I actually know now that uh, PSD2 doesn't refer to the PlayStation 2 in my cupboard (laughs) when I first started I just thought PSD2 PS2 PlayStation (laughs) okay that is not the association I had but okay very good maybe it's I don't know generational thing you know (laughs) Um, but beyond that, obviously, I'm yeah. an Xbox person myself. Oh, so okay. what can I say? There we go. Uh, besides that, lots of new words anyway added to my vocabulary. So which I never really thought I'd knew. Okay, you're number two. Number two, um, more on the personal side. I think it's been a realization of how terrible my actual personal password keeping strategy is. Was before was, you joined was. the line. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Open <Okay>. my eyes. <laughs> Now, so just for our listeners, uh, we actually uh, we take that very seriously. We have <laughs> random passwords. Everyone has a, uh, a password vault, uh, multi-factor authentication enabled everywhere. So uh, uh, as you, you used to say at Microsoft, we eat our own dog food. Yeah. 
And the number one thing that you never wanted to know, but now unfortunately know because you work at a reg tech. <laughs> uh, number one, probably because I've been working on it so much lately, is BCM, which I didn't really know was a thing until now. But um, now, now I'm actually inadvertently applying BCM rules to everything in my life. <laughs> and I'm calling it uh, Bailey Continuity Management. All right. <laughs> so strategies All right. for what then happens if. We shall hope there are no disasters that yeah. you need to recover from. <laughs> that was an excellent top three. I really enjoyed this um, really different um, uh, episode of the RegTech Report. Um, next time, we'll be back uh, with Stefan, and uh, I'm sure we'll have some uh, exciting topics to uh, discuss. Um, with that, thanks for uh, listening, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. Let's continue the conversation on Twitter. Follow our dedicated podcast handle, at the RegTech Rep. Make sure to rate this podcast and send your thoughts and comments to the RegTech Report at align.com. Once again, that's the RegTech Report at ALYNE.com. You can also follow Align on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter, or catch up on our podcasts on align.com slash the RegTech Report. <laughs>